You're listening to Truly Criminal, the home of true crime. To see the video version of this case, including the footage and photos, you can find us on YouTube. Just search for Truly Criminal. Saskatchewan, Canada. March 25th, 2015. 6am. A man walking near a landfill site by an estate on the southern outskirts of Saskatoon made an urgent call to 911. He had stumbled upon a young woman who was lying on the ground. She was cold to the touch and marks covered her neck. Her black leather jacket had blood on the hood. She had no shoes on and her watch was smashed. It had clearly been a violent struggle. Authorities were there quickly, but there were no signs of life and she was pronounced dead at the scene. It was obvious that they were dealing with a homicide. The only thing lying nearby was a dark blue belt with a large buckle. Apart from that, the area was bare and quiet. She had nothing that could identify her, so police released some images of what she was wearing and her distinctive tattoos, including a big lion on her back. It didn't take long before a teen named Cheyenne called in. She was sobbing and said the tattoos matched those of her best friend, Brittany Gargle. They had been out together the previous night but had separated in the early hours and she hadn't seen her since. More calls gave the same name and sure enough, it was Brittany. investigation began in the early morning hours of March 25, 2015, when a passerby found the severely injured 18-year-old on Cedar Villa Estates Road on the outskirts of Saskatoon. 18-year-old Brittany Gargle had lived in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan all her life. Her family was big, and when her parents split when she was younger, they went on to create an even bigger one. Brittany now had four younger sisters who looked up to her a lot, as she had recently reconnected with her biological father after some years. They didn't skip a beat and were loving spending so much time together. Friends said she was outspoken, never one to hold back her opinions. She was adventurous and enjoyed snowboarding, boating and camping. Brittany was feisty with a great sense of humour and was never short of people that wanted to hang out with her. She was busy having just started back at school and had been saving money working two jobs. She wanted to finish school, go to college to study business and then move into the hospitality industry. Authorities started piecing together the previous day. They already knew that she had been out in the evening, which narrowed down her time of death considerably. Brittany's friend Natasha was the first to come forward and the pair had been close for years. Natasha said Brittany would come to her for advice, and when Natasha found out Brittany had dropped out of school, she was the person that encouraged her to go back and get her grades. On March 24th, Natasha had lent her some money for gas and asked her what her plans were. Brittany told her she was meeting up with a few friends and might go to a party. Natasha hugged her goodbye, saying, All right, girl, I'll see you soon. But she hadn't heard anything after that. Look at the facts accept what happens and really hope for the best. 
passed out come for the family and the friends. And just knowing that she's not suffering anymore and in a better place, I think, is a good thing. And that she's probably in a better place than where this world is today. It's scary out there. Can't even go over to a house party, can't go out anywhere without something happening. Especially in this city. In my eyes, the city's become a thug town. And you have to be very careful at what you do and where you go. And this is one lesson. Unfortunately, it's a hard lesson, but it's a lesson to show, like, tell the world, like, look, you really need to be careful out there. This could be anybody. The person she had been out drinking with, her best friend of many years, Cheyenne, was next to talk. The pair got close when Brittany found out about Cheyenne's tumultuous childhood and adolescence and became a big support for her. They were inseparable, spending most of their days together, and going out for drinks was something they did often. Their night began just after midnight, with Brittany uploading a selfie of the two of them before they left. Cheyenne told police they had gone to several places together in Brittany's car, starting off at Manchester's brew pub. Later, they went to a house party, then headed across town to the Colonial Pub and Grill. But Cheyenne said the house party was heavy and, after they left, the night was hazy. She did vaguely remember something happening in the Colonial Pub and Grill that she worried might be behind what had happened to her friend. Brittany had started speaking to a random man at the bar and the pair seemed to be hitting it off. Brittany asked him for a lighter and invited him to have drinks with them. Before Cheyenne could get to know him, Brittany and the man left. Brittany didn't say where they were going, and Cheyenne didn't get the man's name. She didn't even see what direction they had left in, or if they were on foot or driving in Brittany's car. All she could remember was that he was white, and it was around 4am. For some reason, Brittany had Cheyenne's phone, and Cheyenne had made her way back to visit her uncle, who corroborated her coming to see him by herself. Cheyenne couldn't offer up any more information, and what she had was blurry anyway. A few hours after she last saw her friend, a worried Cheyenne posted on Facebook, Where are you? Haven't heard from you. Hope you made it home safe. Love ya. Officers needed to find this mystery man, but they had little to go on. It is unconfirmed where Brittany's car was found, but when it was, it was covered in dust, dirt, dark marks on the side and had long grass in the tyres. Cheyenne's phone was in the car, seemingly confirming that Brittany had taken it as she had left and maybe she and the man had driven somewhere rather than walked. Detectives checked the footage from the Colonial Pub and Grill but they could not see Cheyenne or Brittany anywhere and the bar had no recollection of them being there. However, it was a busy night and it was possible that Cheyenne's timings were off. As Cheyenne's phone was found in Brittany's car, they hoped that the phone data could be analysed to show other locations Brittany had gone to that night and fill in the gaps that Cheyenne couldn't. Cheyenne's phone had pinged at a McDonald's at 4.30am, but she had made no mention of this. So, did Brittany go there after leaving the bar?
Brittany's autopsy results finally came back and it confirmed, as they suspected, that she had been strangled to death. They now felt confident that the belt found near her body was the murder weapon. Detectives kept trying to piece together Cheyenne's story, but they had a bad feeling in the back of their minds. Something about it was very off. Although it was entirely possible she had got things confused and her timings were wrong because she was intoxicated, there was just nothing to indicate they were ever in the Colonial Pub and Grill, a place Cheyenne was adamant they were, and the same place Brittany allegedly met this unknown mystery man. The months were passing by and it was now September 2015. Investigators were still in the same place that they were back in March. People were still in shock and couldn't believe this had happened. Many a tribute was pouring in, including a big one from Cheyenne. They decided to go back to talk to Cheyenne's uncle again, and he was far more evasive than last time. But after some pushing, he suddenly had more to say. He told police that Cheyenne had said the pair had met two people in the bar that morning and gone back to a motel with them. The only thing she told him was that they were black males, whereas before she said Brittany was talking to a white male, but she said she couldn't remember their names, what they were wearing or where the motel was. She said at the motel they were all smoking marijuana and an argument allegedly broke out over some cocaine. Cheyenne went to the bathroom When she came back, she found Brittany dead on the bed with marks on her neck. She told her uncle that the two men had pulled a gun on her and forced her to cover up what they had done. Although they didn't believe this story for various reasons, Cheyenne was at least admitting she knew Brittany had been killed before she called the police to identify her. She had put herself at the scene and spoke of the marks on her neck. Cheyenne had racked up a long list of convictions and had over 50 since the age of 12. At this point, she was already in custody for another crime, so they could easily question her. The once so helpful and concerned friend that was happy to talk was suddenly quiet, uncooperative and evasive. And when she didn't give them a thing, they had no choice but to leave. It was now over a year later, and police were hitting a wall. They felt they had exhausted every witness and lead, Most CCTV had long since expired and didn't tell them anything anyway, and no one had anything else to offer up. Brittany was a very great person. She loved life. She loved living it. She had such a kind heart. She gave everything she could to make other people happy. She did what she could do to make me happy. She wanted to finish school and open her own business and do everything she could to be successful. And then life was taken from her and she's no longer with us. But when I'm here, I can still feel her presence. And she, it's almost like she's telling me, Nikki, it's okay. I'll meet you again. We'll be together again. I'm in, a, I'm in God's hands. I'm safe. And I just got to remember her for the person she was. They still only had one person of interest, Cheyenne. Investigators had been going through Brittany and Cheyenne's social media accounts with a fine-tooth comb, wondering if something was staring them in the face. 
a comment buried away or a message they hadn't seen. And then finally, they spotted something huge. In the tribute post Cheyenne had uploaded, the top half of the girls' outfits could clearly be seen. They realised that Cheyenne was wearing a belt that they recognised all too well. It was the same belt found by Brittany's body and what they now believed to be the murder weapon. The marks around her neck matched the weave of the belt exactly and police said the marks on the car were consistent with coming from the belt. With this fresh information, the belt was sent for more thorough DNA testing. Experts found Cheyenne and Brittany's DNA on it. Authorities couldn't believe it, recognising that if the photo had been taken at even a slightly different angle, this key piece of evidence would likely never have been linked to Cheyenne. It was still a complex case to build. They had no motive and Cheyenne wasn't giving them anything. Months became years, and it was now almost two years since Brittany had died. Finally, they got a tip from someone who hadn't yet spoken up. A friend of Cheyenne's had turned up at Brittany's parents' house with a shocking story. She said that Cheyenne had come to her house that very morning sometime after 5am. She was very drunk and sobbing, and the friend described it as an alcohol fueled rant. Cheyenne said that she and Brittany had gotten into what she described as a heated argument, something over a cell phone, but she didn't elaborate. Hysterically crying and shaking, Cheyenne said she had hit and choked Brittany to death with her belt. She pointed to something outside, and as the friend looked out, she saw Brittany's car parked up, with Brittany slumped against the window in the passenger seat, bleeding. Cheyenne didn't speak any more about the fight, what had caused it, or how it had escalated but she made no mention of anyone else being there or a motel. Her friend was so shaken up she told Cheyenne to leave immediately and she got back in the car and drunkenly sped off. But once Cheyenne sobered up the next morning, the friend said she had claimed she couldn't remember anything that had happened that night and had seemingly forgotten everything. The friend was too scared to report this to the police, but as time ticked by, they decided to give the information to the family. Cheyenne's uncle also later admitted she had asked him to go along with her story and he had given her several false alibis. Police said that she had manipulated the story, made up random people, used her uncle, posted lies to Facebook and spent two years taking no responsibility. If she felt as bad as she said over what she had done, she could have taken Brittany to hospital. Instead, she left her to die. In March 2017, Cheyenne Antoine was charged with second-degree murder and causing indignity to a body. The night of partying and drinking began with these two friends posing for this Facebook photo. It ended in tragedy, with Brittany Gargle's body found on this stretch of rural road outside of Saskatoon. At first, police didn't have much to go on. They didn't even really know who Gargle was. But this photo proved instrumental. Cheyenne Antoine wore a baggy hooded jacket during the proceedings, at times using the long sleeves to cover her face. The 20-year-old is charged with second-degree murder in the death of Brittany Gargle. The victim's family and friends wept in the courtroom as the charges were read. We're so grateful, so grateful. And 
so thankful that the investigators that have that have been working on this for almost two years never gave up hope because it was very hard for us at times to keep that keep that hope up. Yeah, the details are not going to be pretty. Um, I'm raising her seven-year-old sister who has a lot of questions and doesn't understand, so that's difficult. Brittany was very happy, um, joyful. She loved her family. Her, she has four younger sisters. She loved her friends. She spent as much time with them as she could. She was just, she was a wonderful person whose life was cut short and it's, it's not fair. Nearly six months later, the accused commented on the post recounting a dream she had of the deceased teen, saying in part, woke up with tears in my eyes. I'm blessed to have met you and have you be a part of my life. Antoine's message concludes with rest in paradise, my angel. Along with the murder charge, the former friend is accused of causing an indignity to a body. Antoine has several outstanding court matters recently being found guilty of assault and uttering threats in a December incident. Meanwhile, Gargle's family is remembering her as a happy grade 12 student who loved her four younger sisters. When Antoine's appearance concluded, she put her hood up and walked out of the prisoner's box. She will remain in custody and is due back in court Friday. Ryan Kessler, Global News. With all the evidence against her, Cheyenne told them the same story she had told her friend that early morning. They were drinking and smoking a lot. And Cheyenne said after the house party is where her memory started to go. She said she vaguely remembered going to a McDonald's where the pair started arguing. They left and started walking when Brittany grabbed Cheyenne's phone. Cheyenne said she couldn't really remember how it had happened, but she remembered being livid and snapping. Everything went hazy and suddenly Brittany was unconscious on the ground. At the age of 21, she finally appeared in court and faced Brittany's family for the first time. Cheyenne buried her head in her hands, crying and not looking at anyone. Under Canadian law, second-degree murder is generally a deliberate killing that occurs without planning, but does not fall under any of the categories of first-degree murder. It can still carry a hefty sentence, however, with the minimum term starting at life in prison with 10 years to serve. Manslaughter is homicide committed without intent. Although there may have been an intention to cause harm, this carries no minimum sentence. Knowing this, Cheyenne's legal team announced that she was cutting a deal. She pleaded guilty to the lesser charge of manslaughter, rather than go through a trial for second-degree murder. She said she would take responsibility for Brittany's death, but had no memory of it. Therefore, manslaughter was appropriate. Through her lawyer, she said... I will never forgive myself. Nothing I say or do will ever bring her back. I am very, very sorry. It shouldn't have ever happened. Her lawyer asked for sympathy considering the years of trauma her clients had gone through. She didn't really have a relationship with her parents, had lost her mother young and had a criminal record from the age of just 12 years old, racking up 54 convictions by the age of 19. Her memories of her parents were of them abusing drugs to escape the trauma that they had experienced as a result of Canada's infamous residential school system. Cheyenne had moved in with foster parents who had physically and sexually abused her, and her lawyer said she was sexually assaulted a month prior to Brittany's murder, which had significantly increased her drug and alcohol use. She was now using much harder substances like meth. But people said it had to be noted that as awful as everything she had suffered through was, 
Brittany was somebody that had been there for her through thick and thin, helping her manage her feelings, regulate her emotions, and always being a shoulder to cry on. Brittany had been the one constant and support system in her life, the one person she always knew she could turn to. She would have done anything for her. This is just a tragic situation where drug and alcohol use um, exploded. Uh, My client had some very deep-seated personal issues that she was not dealing with, and unfortunately, for whatever reason, we'll never know, um, they turned into a very tragic situation for all involved. She knows the family would like an explanation, a reason, but unfortunately she can't provide that, Cheyenne's lawyer said. Police and prosecutors say Cheyenne mentioned a cell phone potentially being the cause of the fight, but they know little else. Cheyenne has never said anything else about it, and whether she remembers or not, has blocked it out, or is intentionally keeping quiet, is still unknown. It will likely always be this way. I'm just outside uh, Saskatoon Provincial Court here. We have just learned the sentence of a woman who pleaded guilty to causing the death of what court heard was one of her best friends. Uh, Brittany Gargol was 18 years old when her body was found just south of Saskatoon near near, uh, Cedar Villa Estates back in March of 2015. And today, Cheyenne Rose Antoine pleaded guilty to manslaughter in connection to Gargol's death. And uh, the sentence that she received was a joint submission sentence agreed upon by the Crown and Defence, the judge accepting it, meaning that Antoine will serve a seven-year sentence for manslaughter. Now, she was originally charged with second-degree murder, but pleaded uh, guilty to the lesser-included offence of manslaughter. And today we learned uh, the facts surrounding this case that was quite uh, mysterious for about two years. What she remembers is that they left a house party that night. They were heavily intoxicated. And Antoine says her last memory is of Gargle taking her phone. Cheyenne Antoine actually tried to mislead police in their investigation by saying that she was there that night but that she had nothing to do with it, that she had left before anything had happened and uh, kind of tried to almost make it seem like she was looking for her friend as well through Facebook postings. As far as a motive, uh, we just spoke to the defense lawyer who said that this is a case where we will never truly know what caused this woman to kill one of her closest friends um, as she just does not remember it happening. However, she does take responsibility responsibility for her being the one responsible for this woman's death. At Saskatoon Provincial Court, I'm Bree McAdam with the Saskatoon Star Phoenix. 21-year-old Cheyenne was later sentenced to seven years in prison, with a likely release date of 2024 or 2025. The judge said she needed to work a program in prison to help her with her addiction and anger. Honour your friend by becoming a positive, productive woman. You owe it to her to persevere, she said. There are still so many questions about what happened that night and why it ever did. One person claims they can't remember and the other can't talk at all. Gargle's family is still struggling to come to grips with the teen's death. She was a fun-loving, committed young woman who had a good life ahead of her, they say. Today we learned uh, some details that will help with uh, closure. Uh, regarding this incident, Brittany was a wonderful young person that uh, didn't deserve this, and uh, we truly deeply miss her every day. Brittany's aunt described the pain of losing a niece as profoundly dark and intense, 
and Christy, her stepmother, said Brittany's little sister feels guilty if a day goes by where she doesn't think about Brittany. She was just five years old at the time of her death and says she's worried that if she doesn't think about her, it means she's forgetting her. Brittany's father Everett said, I feel so much anger and sadness about how short her life was. My life changed forever. I miss her so much. The day before she was killed, he was supposed to help fix something with her car, but he couldn't make it back in time. He said he thinks of this every day, knowing it could have been just one last time to hug her, and he was robbed of that. <laughs> 